Yo, podcast pals. January means three things. Cold weather. Ooh. The NFL playoffs. Yay! And The Bachelor. Yay! The Ringer Podcast Network has responded by spinning off Juliet Littman's Bachelor Party Podcast into its very own feed every Monday night right after the show ends on ABC. Juliet's breakdown of the latest episode goes right up. It's posted right there on the Ringer Podcast Network. Her guests include former bachelors like Ben Higgins, former contestants like Ashley I, the Ringer's Roger Sherman, and superfans like the Sports Gal. Tell the Bachelor superfan in your life to subscribe to Bachelor Party on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Art19, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh yeah, my taste buds, my hungry homies, my culinary comrades, we've done it. It's 2018, and we are back with the second episode of the year of House of Cars. Part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your hungry host, Joe House. As you know, this is the Hungry Podcast for the Hungry People. Great guest today. Very pleased to have the editor-in-chief of Eater. This time of year is perfect because we're going to talk about, um, from her perspective, and the vast empire over which she uh, observes in terms of food news and restaurants and food innovation, where we might be headed in 2018. New ingredients, restaurant trends, and, and general trends in the industry. It's a really great conversation with Amanda Clute, and we're very, very happy to have her on the pod. Of course, we're also uh, always happy to have Juliet Litman on. Juliet shares a personal story about an experience with vodka in today's food news that I think is going to lead us into a pretty exciting test of her palate. And so you'll have to listen in and see what I'm talking about there. But before we get to that delicious food news, let's get in that belly with Amanda Clute. My hungry homies, my taste buds, my culinary comrades, we have the perfect guest for the beginning of the year, not only because of her inimitable charm and wit, but also because we get a preview of what the hopefully delicious year may hold for us in terms of restaurants new and old, food news, food innovation. She is the editor-in-chief of Eater. Welcome to House of Carbs, Amanda Clute. Thank you for having me. Oh, my gosh. So, listen, I, I uh, soft-pedaled it a little bit. The right way for me to bring you in, I didn't warn you, would be, welcome, Amanda Clute, to House of Carbs. 
Great. How Thank you. you it's, I love Is it. it. Are you all right I, I listen to the show. I know Andrew Knowlton did an impression. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Just keep my dignity intact. But look, thank you for the warm welcome. Different strokes for different folks. Yep. Very warm welcome. Thank you for coming on today. We're very excited. It's a great moment um, at the beginning of a brand new year um, to kind of look forward, to think about um, both uh, serious and non-serious topics in, in the food world, the food industry, the restaurant world, the restaurant industry. Before we kind of get there, yep. I'm interested in you. Great. Uh, can we talk a little bit about your background and how you came to be uh, sure. the esteemed editor-in-chief of Eater? Yeah, I uh, I got into it pretty early. I've been here about 10 years. My 10-year anniversary is in a couple weeks. Congrats. So thank you Is there very a party? Much. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, looking at food. Dan, our, our AP, hoping he can plan a party for us. Uh, yeah, I went to journalism school in New York and uh, was going to be a beat reporter maybe, like covering city news. And then I kind of fell into the lifestyle side of things and realized that this is actually a much more fun beat to cover than City Hall or the cops. And I Do did, tell. Yeah, I did, I did a little travel writing, and then I realized that, you know, you can cover restaurants in the same way you would cover anything else. So you're covering openings, you're covering closings, you're talking to people, you're learning their stories, you're telling their stories, uh, and there's food involved. So mm. it's also delicious. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I ended up on this path. But I uh, joined Eater when in 2008 when it was very small. There were just a few sites. Uh, there was New York, L.A., San Francisco, and just kind of covering – Small neighborhood news, like what restaurant is opening near your office or near your home and who's involved and, and all that stuff. And over the course of 10 years, we've kind of exploded into a much bigger publication and, I don't know, brand. Yeah, right. So um, my relationship with Eater, it is my go-to. It is vital to my uh, uh, stability, my happiness. My, <laughs> it was always with great joy that at – I'm not sure of the time, so forgive me if I get sure. the timestamp wrong. It's 4.30, it's 5 o'clock, it's 5.30. The Eater email arrives in my inbox mm -hmm. daily, Eater DC. I get that um, that email with, you know, the hot DC All the gossip, all news. the intel. Exactly right. Um, but that is just kind of a narrow slice of what Eater mm -hmm. is all about. Um, let's, let's, if you don't mind, can sure. we talk a little bit about mission statement? Sure, yeah. I mean, we cover – the the news at the local level, we want to be telling you where to eat uh, and exactly who the players are, but we also want to tell you about food culture and restaurant culture at large. So we're telling you why things are important, why things matter, larger trends going on, and a little bit about the people behind the scenes. Yeah. So how do you think about your coexistence, eaters' coexistence, with other kind of food platforms that are out there? Like we had the infatuation guys on. Yeah, I love those guys. Right. I, 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 I imagine. I've seen you guys in in places at the same time doing yeah. things together. <laughs> yes. um, so uh, how, how, do you, how does Eater coexist with those other kinds of, of platforms? I think every food publication has its own piece of the puzzle. Uh, so they all provide a different thing. Like one might be more service, one might be more focused on the recipe and the at-home dining, might, one might be talking about larger trends. And so we're trying to do a little of a lot of things. So uh -huh. at the local level, you have your eater local site. Like if you live in LA, you have the person telling you, okay, these are the new restaurants that just opened, or these are the essential restaurants that we recommend. But also we have a big travel guide for you if you're going to Mexico City. Also, we're going to give you the op-ed from a restaurateur about the sexism that she faced in the industry, um, or tell you about the national 
news in a much broader way, like covering Chipotle and covering McDonald's and and all those big national players. Right. So I have um, in in my own sort of walk of life, my own experience with Eater, um, the news element of it is the most prominent way mm-hmm. that I consume. Yeah. Um, but there's also I, the, the podcast. There's at least one podcast. Yep. We have, we have the have podcast. M- and then um, the podcast is Upsell. It's Eater Upsell. Eater Upsell. Yep. And it's it's where uh, we, we recently changed it up a little bit. And it's where my co-host Dan and I talk to Eater editors and other journalists and people of note about what's going on in the food world. So mm-hmm. kind of taking a deeper dive into stories for people who are really interested in it. It's yeah. an actual upsell. Like you get in a restaurant. Right. Like, oh, you're interested in this? How about we tack on a little more and you you get in a little deeper? I'm the perfect um, yeah. <laughs> customer for this because I always love say it. yes to the upsell. Yeah, love it. Um you also do uh, video content. Mm-hmm. I've seen. Help, help me understand. I don't. I don't click. That's not one of my um, yeah, yeah, yeah. standard that's, clicks. That's what, not. That's not what you consume from us. But right. we. Uh, we have a large video team. We're telling stories on YouTube and on Facebook, mm-hmm. and some are hosted series. So kind of like a modern take on what you would have seen on the Food Network or the Travel Channel, but much. I think more in touch with people today and what they want to be seeing. Uh, so we have a hosted show where a guy goes around and eats cheap eats oh. and talks about, talks to the people and great. he's just eating like great burritos and bar food and, and covering a lot of different cuisines from around the world in each city that he goes to. Yeah. That's very on brand for house of carbs. Yeah. You would love it. You would I, love I, it. I'm going to send you some episodes. Yeah. Um, and then for videos that are more geared towards Facebook, it might be more visually interesting. Like mm-hmm. one that we did recently that has been doing really well is uh, behind the scenes of this candy maker where it's these women who are just like stretching out this caramel and it's really crazy because it starts out huge and Uh by the time they're done with it, it's this tiny, tiny piece of candy. And so it's just like a visually arresting thing that stops you in your tracks when you're in your Facebook feed. Cool. Uh, So you're trying, we're trying to program for all the different platforms that people are are on today. Yeah, well, obviously Instagram is a big portion of it. And Instagram is a huge one, You guys have nearly a million followers, (laughs) 975,000, give or or take. We're doing the fact checking. Oh, dude, I I gotta show up. House of Carbs has to rep with the research a little bit. Um, how, how do you guys think about, um, your own approach to Instagram, um, and how to differentiate from other folks, you know, cause Instagram as, as, uh, I've talked about with folks on, on the show over yeah. the last, um, six months since the show's been up and going, um, what a transformative kind of tool that is for food interest and, and yeah. kind of, you know, uh, a rising tide that lifts all boats in terms of raising, elevating, um, expectations and elevating interest in different cuisines and that whole kind of thing. So let me let you answer. Yeah, sure. Well, when we started caring about Instagram and paying attention to it, we would post photos from our editors and that seemed like the obvious thing to do. And then we realized that, uh, that didn't do so well for us. But when we posted photos from our fans, that did really well. Mm -hmm. And so we thought, why not have this be a platform where we can engage more with the people who love this stuff and give them a little props and give them, you know, re-amplify their voices and also see what they're interested in. Like, oh, look, this guy's been eating these amazing noodles in Rome. Let's post them. And then everyone else gets to see that. And it's more of a conversation than just, oh, here are all of our fancy, cool editors out eating their fancy, cool meals. Like, pay attention to them. Right, right. Um, and then the Instagram stories over the last year has been the new thing that we're trying to play with and figure out, mm-hmm. like, what is 
what is our take on that? And we've been pl- playing with a lot of different things. So in some cases, we might just use it to promote a story and use the beautiful stills from that story and you can click over. Maybe it's behind the scenes at the Eater office, like what we're up to today. And I think that's still something that's going to evolve over the next year. And sure. we definitely have not figured it out. Right. So that's something that's kind of fun to play with. Yeah. Yeah. We're in the same boat a little bit our own selves. And yeah. you know, just kind of exploring it and seeing um, you know, what what's interesting to us yeah. and hoping that other people find it interesting. And that's well. what's so fun about it with Snapchat when that first came out we were like how are we going to figure this out is there even a thing for a publisher to do on Snapchat it's so hard to even find us even though we know like this is where all the 18 year olds must be uh, <laughs> we could, couldn't figure it out because it's just so hard to promote well, and, yourself and, you know, and, let's and we be shouldn't honest. we shouldn't <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to curse, but F the 18-year-olds. Yeah, like, exactly. really, are we really catering to well, the 18-year-old taste? Is, Come and, on. And like, why Why do we need to try to get them anyway? <laughs> right. So when Instagram stole the idea from Snapchat to do stories, like, oh, okay, we can make this work. Yeah. Like, we get this. Right. This is something I'm on every day anyway. Like, older people, like, my mom can follow it. Fine. Yeah. This will work. Yeah, I can follow it. You can follow it. So and then we, we have go. a million followers. Like, this is something that we can actually take advantage of, whereas Snapchat, that, that didn't really work. So yeah. I think that's another thing about food media and all media is you're figuring out what's working and forget the things that you can't do. Yes. Perfect segue. One of the things that you guys at Eater have done over the last, I think, 18 months, maybe even more recent, uh, or, or maybe I'm getting the timeline wrong. It doesn't matter. Is features mm-hmm. um, yep. of of sort of you know uh, on prominent topics, on on serious topics, on um, nationally important topics. How did that come to be? When the, actually we started our features program when Vox acquired Eater, uh, because before for the first. I don't know, five or six years I've been here, we were much scrappier. We mm. were a little startup. And then in 2013, towards the end of the year, Vox acquired us and gave us a little bit more of a professional operating budget, let's mm-hmm. say. So mm-hmm. we brought on restaurant criticism. That's when we started building a video team. And that's when we said, hey, let's do long-form journalism on Eater. No one's really doing it. Lucky Peach was doing it yes. at the time, rest in peace. And yeah. the New Yorker's food issue was another great place where you see long-form food journalism. But mm-hmm. beyond that... It's a lot of, you know, glossy national publications that just don't – that's not their thing. Right. Uh, or one-offs from, like, the national newspapers, Yeah, right? exactly. Like, the New York Times does great right. long-form food journalism. Why can't we do it? And so we started the program a few, few years ago, and it's done really well for us because there are so many stories you can be telling in this way. And there's still a hunger for it on the internet to read these longer pieces. It's not just, oh, give me these blog posts and these short snacky things. Yeah. And I will say from my own experience, um, I like very much the conduit that, cause I go on Eater to get news about what's happening mm-hmm. in my city. Yeah. But I like having the opportunity to then, you know, find my way into something longer and thoughtful or, or I see something of interest and I say, I'm going to save that right, right, you right. Know, for the weekend or whatever. Yeah. And that's a great point is that People can come in and just consume one thing, and and people will come in just for the long form and not care about the food news in D.C., but we're offering all of these a variety of ways for people to, to get involved. Yeah. Can I can I either make a, re- uh, a recommendation or have you um, direct me properly? Of course. Um, from that, those sort of daily newsletter things that I get, mm-hmm. if if um, if you wanted to steer me to um, the video stuff on YouTube, I would be open okay, to great. that. Yeah, I yeah, just yeah. haven't. It just doesn't. Yeah, we pop haven't up been pushing my, it out enough. To I you. would say yeah. that. I mean, that would that's gently that's that would yeah. be my observation. And that's definitely something we have to think about. And it's a challenge: is how do we get all of the things to yeah, people yeah. so they know we're even doing it? Right. Like especially, I mean, you know, podcasting. Like, how do you 
get these people who are obsessed with your newsfeed to even care about the podcast? How do we get them to subscribe? And, yeah. and that's something we're still working on. Yeah. I don't have a clue how to do any of that. <laughs> <laughs> I just come in and yell a lot. But um, one, one of the things that I'm, I'm interested in, and this is bread and butter um, eater. So the, the things that are always appealing to me are um, the, the heat maps, mm -hmm. the map guides, and you know the thirty-eight essential. Yeah. Where did thirty-eight come from? That that that's a that's a tough one because it was before my time. But the founders Ben Leventhal and Lockhart Steele were were trying to come up with a number. It wasn't twenty-five. It wasn't fifty. And I think thirty-eight was just perfect to them. And it it works because once you glom onto it, it becomes part of your identity. We're like, okay, thirty-eight, and yeah. we've expanded it. So you have your thirty-eight essentials in New York and Paris and and wherever we go. So um, I'd love to give both of those gentlemen a nice tap on the back and pat <laughs> on the back because I agree. Yeah, 38 is a great number. Yeah, and then when any, whenever anyone else does a, a list that is 38, I look at it, I'm like, oh, guys, that can't feel good. No, I, I mean, seriously. Yeah. Other people are out there doing 38. Oh, yeah. Get like, out of on. town. Well, that's a, that's, those are non-credible 38s. Exactly. One of the things I loved um, when I, I, I looked today, just to get the feel for what the New York 38 was about, and, and I always love the combination of um, old school and new, sc new mm -hmm, school mm -hmm. in terms of um, the city guides. And I, it just made me happy to see Balthazar and, and oh, yeah. Katz's and yep. uh, there were, oh, Luger was on mm -hmm. there. So like if you're coming to New York from somewhere else, you yeah. still have those touchstone classic, you know, um, crucially yeah. important visits, you know, places to visit. And people need to know about those. Like if I go to San Francisco and I'm not going every year, I want to go to the best place or the essential place. I don't just want to go to the new place because the new place, maybe they're not, it's not even going to be that great. But if I live in San Francisco, I want to go to the new place because I've been to all the other ones. Yeah, right. And I, I, I um, appreciate the balance. It makes a lot of sense. Quick break, I want to tell you about our friends at Zip Recruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? It's hard to find great talent in the, or when you're doing consulting in Washington, D.C., or when you're trying to do outstanding podcast content throughout this great nation of ours. Let me tell you how Zip Recruiter is different. They post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. Then ZipRecruiter actively looks for the most qualified candidates and invites them to apply. They even review every application to identify the top candidates so that you never miss a great match. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter does not depend on the right candidates finding you. It finds them. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Find out today, my friends, why ZipRecruiter has been named by businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results right now. The House of Carbs listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, F-R-E-E. -E. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash house. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash H-O-U-S-E. One more time to try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash house. 
So I want to talk about 2018 because it's Great. it's 2018 now. Um, you uh, and your partner Dan just did your co-host Dan. Yep. Um, just did a uh, podcast on Eater Upsell, where you guys tackled all things 2018. Mm-hmm. I'm going to step on that a little bit, if you don't mind. That's totally fine. I want to pick your brain a little bit um, and and hear where Eater thinks, you know, a few different things are going. So first, one of the things that, that um, uh, has become interesting and kind of, uh, uh, you know, compelling in the way of new entrance in the restaurant scene is the diversity of, of cuisines. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like that is a, a fairly recent kind of trend. I don't know if trend's the right word, but like the rise of Filipino food feels like a th- it came kind of out of nowhere. Right. But it has like a moment um, that's been like maybe uh, going on for a year or so uh, or maybe longer. Mm-hmm. Um, is there something out there that you guys are observing um, that you you might anticipate for 2018 like that? I don't know if there's anything on the same vein as that, but you are seeing all kinds of global cuisines being embraced by a mass audience where you weren't seeing that five years ago. Mm-hmm. So you can see like Filipino cuisine, not just, oh, someone like my parents might go there now, it's that they're getting investment from people. Mm-hmm. So they have, so someone of that background now has a chance to make it in a much bigger, splashier way than they would have five years ago where they might not have gotten funding from outside or or had the ability to do marketing and PR the way some other restaurants are able to do. So I think we, we will see more of that. I think the palate of the average consumer is much more open now. Mm-hmm. People don't mind trying new things and they're not as squeamish about flavors that they're not used to. What about um, ingredients? You know, last year we had, uh, it felt like, maybe I'm getting this wrong. I know avocado was big. <laughs> uh, matcha felt like it had a moment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, are, there, are there any kind of ingredients the we can anticipate? One thing we've been seeing pop up a little bit that we were predicting for this year is ube, which is this like purple ube. purple yam. And I think oh. it's because it looks cool too yeah. on Instagram. Right. And anything that's Instagrammable, you're going to see see a lot more of. So. What, what does the ube taste like? I don't know if I've ever had, had ube except in ice cream. And I feel like that kind of masks the flavor because then it's just like a bland sweetness. Um, but, I, but I think you're going to get a typical yam flavor. So that that's an interesting um, kind of observation. So maybe what we might anticipate in 2018 in that vein is um, – Visually stimulating food yeah. food items, and we appearing. saw we saw a lot of charcoal things this year, which mm. we could continue to see next year if people are still making things for Instagram. So you have like really black items and then bright, bright, colorful items. Oh, okay, I like that very much. What about in um, the restaurant scene? Um, do you, have you guys made? Are there any? Sort, I, I know this is it's very kind of broad question. No, no, but. there's there's lots. Uh, square pizza is something we think is going to keep happening. So I don't know if you've seen Detroit-style pizza hit ZC. Whoa, 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 whoa. I've been, I grew up. You've been eating grandma slices forever? <laughs> well, not grandma slices, mm-hmm. but in Washington, D.C., in the greater metropolitan area, there's Lido's Pizza, mm-hmm. which is um, the first, it was, uh, um, opened up just a maybe half mile, quarter mile from the University of Maryland campus, and so my very I grew up in that portion of of is Lido's a Sicilian style. It's I wouldn't call it Sicilian, mm-hmm. but it's 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 a square pan pizza. Mm-hmm. That's that's maybe maybe, yeah. maybe that that gets the Sicilian treatment. I don't know if that's what these folks were after. But. Yeah, for some reason Detroit style, which means it's it's made in a pan, but also 
the cheese comes uh, before the sauce. Okay. So that is the I think the one big differentiator, and the, cool. the edges get really caramelized. Uh, for some reason, Ooh. that over the last year has really exploded, and now we've been seeing Detroit style pizzerias open in like at least seven cities across mm. the Eater Network. Mm. So I feel like that's going to keep happening. Okay. Uh, Hot Chicken is another one where we're kind of watching it. Like, is this going to keep spreading everywhere? Or is it ha- hit its saturation it's point? Everywhere. It is, if it's everywhere. It is everywhere. Like, I mean, KFC if it's a Shake Shack. Doing it. Shake yeah, Shack right. is doing it. Yeah. So now it's like, okay, maybe that one's Maybe that one's done. Mm-hmm. Let's let's hope so. Well, I want. I actually don't mind it. Um, I just want to get the folks who are kind of the authority on it, mm-hmm. um, the ability to kind of branch out. There's a Howlin' Rays out in L.A. Did right. I say it? Howlin' yeah. Rays? Yeah. yeah, that's correct. Um, and I wish they'd come to the to the East Coast. That's, I mean. Uh, yeah, or like Prince's in right, Nashville. Right, exactly. That place is incredible. Yes. Let's get them some of that KFC money. Yes, yes, yeah. that's right. We Maybe we could crowdfund that. You know, <laughs> I, I kick in 10 bucks to get some Prince's yeah. to somewhere on the Eastern Seaboard. And then the other trend that is not, as sexy or fun to talk about is just like the labor side of things. Yeah. Like minimum wages are going up across the country. Finding ways to pay for restaurants is getting harder and harder. There's a chef shortage in a lot of major cities. So I think what we're going to see is restaurants tackling how do you actually make this work? How do the economics work? Um, I don't know if you follow the Danny Meyer in New York, but he started this program called Hospitality Included where there's no gratuity. He just pays everybody um, the way you would pay at a normal job like you have mm-hmm. an hourly wage there are there is no you know service like there's no tipping but that, uh, that provides him a platform by which he can provide kind of what people think of as normal benefits right, right? exactly so if he if he distributes the money that way he can have a more normal setup that mm-hmm. you or i might be used to um, but that's just it's expensive to implement across right. restaurants so not a lot of people are following his lead but i think that might be a key to to moving forward economically. And I don't mean to be glib and give this topic short uh, shrift, but obviously <laughs> it's sort of the, the great reckoning that's occurring in a lot of industries right. where- Right, that is um, happening in restaurants men, too. Men, of course, men uh, men traditionally, you know, uh, the patriarchy that, you know, has sort of taken place in a lot of different walks of life, certainly in the restaurant industry is being called the task for, you know, bad behavior. Um, we expect that, you know, folks who have committed these sins mm-hmm. um, are going to be, you know, called out for it and, you know, kind of the, you know, hopefully progress yep. in terms of overcoming that, cr- crushing that that bad behavior, stamping it out. Yeah, and I don't think it's too optimistic to say that this is the year that more good things in that direction are going to happen. Like, this is not just a blip. People continue to come out. Like, even yesterday or this week, there was a big story about Four Barrel, which is a prominent coffee roaster in San Francisco. So there was a story about the owner of that and how now he's divesting from his business. Uh, we definitely, of course, had the Mario Batali story and the mm-hmm. Ken Friedman story. And I think there will be more stories like that. And I think what it could do is also lead, lead more women to open more places. I I don't know if it's Pollyanna-ish, but maybe investors now will want to invest in women more or take a broader look at what they're supporting and what they're investing in. So that's I wondered, um, and I was going to put that question to you. Do you think that this moment in terms of, you know, identifying these bad actors and, you know, kind of sweeping out that behavior, stamping out that behavior is an opportunity for women to, to rise up a little? I hope so. I hope it's encouraging more women to speak out as well, because uh, this is something that we grapple with at Eater is 
we can't be the ones and journalists in general can't be the ones that have to expose every single person. Mm -hmm. Uh, So more women, unfortunately, are going to need to say things. Uh, But I do think it is a chance for for them to step up, for them to say, hey, I'm a I'm a safe bet here. You're not going to have an issue with me. And the problems we've maybe seen in the past of investors assuming that women aren't going to get the same coverage or or have the same ability to draw in audiences, maybe that's gone away. So that's interesting. Um, I had uh, Gail Simmons on. Um, not oh, not trying to drop names, obviously. But <laughs> no big deal. No, I know Gail. <laughs> no, I, I mean, it's just, you know, in, in terms of um, the idea of, of – um, women who have ambitions in the food industry rising up and getting kind of exposure and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, uh, achieving the same kind of social prominence as men. Um, The social media has been, at least in in our observation, and this is, I think, um, Mm -hmm. Gail kind of agreed with this, uh, uh, had a democratization kind of effect, right? Leveling the playing field. Um, And the the food shows seem to be sort of have that uh, idea. I don't mean to, you know, cast a big wide brush yeah. and say all all shows are doing it this way but do you agree that that um yeah, uh, I, that principle I think applies food shows and producers and people in media are definitely trying to be i don't know more more democratic in what they're covering and who they're covering and and trying harder to make sure that they're not just covering this one type of person. And I would agree that the social media platforms have kind of opened things up so there aren't as many gatekeepers anymore and it's easier for people to bubble up into your into your world. So if you are an editor, you can have more ch- opportunities to find interesting people. Yeah, I don't mean to overdo the shout out to Top Chef and the Gale, mm-hmm. but like this season of Top Chef, the diversity of backgrounds and, you know, different the the, the genders and people of color and, you know, yeah. the whole all of the walks of life that they've brought to to kind of compete in this thing is kind of an eye opener just because of of just, you know, an, an introduction to some traditions that you that that like I wouldn't otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, have any kind of insight into. Yeah. And if you look at Top Chef, the first couple of seasons, you probably wouldn't have seen that. Right. Had you ever watched Great British Bake Off? I I, I love the concept of it. Mm-hmm. I love um, it. It is such as like a perfect. Uh, I don't know. It's not an affect, but it's right. like I love the presentation of it. <laughs> and they, everyone is very polite, which I love. Yes. But they've done a good job from the beginning of just being so diverse and in who's included. And I I think that's why they've been embraced so widely because mm-hmm. it represents the diversity of the UK that I wouldn't have thought of right. from the outside. I had sure. no idea. And then you see this, you're like, oh, okay, I see. Yeah, right, right. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to move off of kind of 2018 sure. a little bit. I want to talk about your food life a little bit. So okay, you, you're great. you're here in New York City. Yes. One of the greatest cities in all of planet Earth for food. Correct. Um, let's first start with like your ratio of cooking in versus eating out. Sure. I... Um, I do not cook. Okay. I'm not a great cook. My husband is a wonderful cook. Great. So whenever we eat in, it's usually his doing. Yeah. Uh, and now we have a kid. So he's very good at being the guy who gets all the things together on Sunday, cooks a big Sunday dinner, and then we're eating some permutation of that yes. throughout the week. Sure. Um, but I probably go out three three nights a week. Okay. And is it um, in terms of your status as editor-in-chief of Eater – um, very important. That's like, no. This is it. This is <laughs> no. what I'm asking, right? Um, no, I'm I'm very 
low key. So I, I don't like I'm not someone who gets recognized and given the royal treatment. Yes. Um, but if there is a place I really want to go to, yeah. I will call in a favor to get a reservation. Sure, I will sure. totally admit to that. Yeah, it makes Absolutely. sense. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's it is part of your professional. I got I got to try the places. Yeah, I gotta exactly go. right. I mean, you, you have these stories yeah. bubbling up. Bill Addison is saying this place is great. Yeah, exactly. How do you know? Well, and I'm not I'm not a restaurant critic. Those guys, they make reservations under false names and they have, yeah, they right. can't call in any favors. But that's one of the perks of not doing that. <laughs> I can say, hey, do you have a 7 p.m. Saturday night reservation? Like I'm coming in, I'm still gonna pay for it myself. Yeah, but right, right. Of course, I'll take I'll take the table. <laughs> You'll take the table, <laughs> as, I, as would you. <laughs> as would I. Believe me, House of Carbs. We're waiting for the that that level Wait of treatment. We haven't got there yet. Um, let's talk about 2017. Mm-hmm. I want to put you on the spot for a minute. Okay. Tell me, we're gonna do one high concept and one food of the people kind of thing. Okay. Uh, and ask you for your best meal. And I know that that uh, I didn't give you any warning. Okay. Your your best like high concept meal. Okay. Um, in like, 2017. It doesn't have to be New York. It could be anywhere. Okay. Well. Because I know you travel this great nation of ours. I have done a, a bit of traveling. I would say high-end shuko in New York is mm. one of my favorites. Okay. So I saw it on the list. It's, it's really, really good. What um, do they do? They do sushi. Mm. And they also do cooked Japanese food. So if you get the tasting menu, it's you get raw fish, but also some cooked dishes. So for for sushi to distinguish itself in New York City, which mm-hmm. is a pretty great sushi town, we've got a lot of really good sushi. Here. Yeah, it has to be pretty special. It's special, and I think because there's so much good sushi here, the vibe is also really important. Mm-hmm. So you can go to a sushi place here that's very austere, um, or a place that's. Uh, really fast paced yeah. and you're in and out in 45 minutes. Shuko is more of a luxurious mm. long meal. They play hip hop music. Okay. It's like this beautiful dark bar. It's kind of a fun atmosphere. So you're getting you're getting the really good fish, but you're also like having a fun date. I so love that, it. That's what I love about that place. Okay. And the guys the guys who run it are, are really fun too and they'll chat with you about everything. Nice. I love that. Okay, mm-hmm. so that, that covers kind of the high end, uh, mm-hmm. the high concept kind of deal. Give me something okay, that's food of the food of the people. This is not um no, I, I always call this food of the people. There's a, a place called Goldie's in Philadelphia. Oh, uh, I'm familiar with Goldie's. Oh, you as know a matter Goldie's, of fact, the tahini shakes. Yeah, oh my god, I can't gosh. get enough of them. So I've, this this is incredible. I um, went to Philadelphia three weeks right before the holidays mm-hmm. um, for one of these. Um, I call it like you know, uh, belly takeover. We go to a town okay. and we just sort of try try some places. Yep. And you where'd know, you go? Um, we we did the Disney golf. Yeah, I mean we uh, we did the um, uh, Stephen Cook. Mm-hmm. On the podcast that I recorded right after this tour, I called him Peter Cook twice. Oh, My bad, Stephen Cook. <laughs> Stephen Cook, well, Michael Solomonov. A complex about Michael Solomonov being the famous guy. I so you it. just made it so much worse. I called him Peter twice. <laughs> oh, poor, poor Steve Cook. He's like never but getting the recognition. We, we did that whole deal. We did Zahav as mm-hmm. as kind of dinner, but we did uh, federal. Um, oh, federal donuts. Federal donuts. Yeah. We we did Dizengoss. We did Goldies. We did um, the soup place rooster. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, that we this went down. What was, what was Street. your favorite? Oh wow! You know, it's it's. Um, I, I'm going to call it my favorite because it was kind of a revelation, and it's not Zahav, which is you know mm-hmm. it's kind of a silly thing to say because Zahav was is, phenomenal. Is, yeah, yeah, transportive. But um, Dissengoss, and the yeah. reason is because the um, although I love Goldies as well. But the the elevation of hummus, mm-hmm. you like I I am a big consumer of hummus. I'm yep. I'm down with the hummus game, 
and the elevation of it and the way that 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 they um, approached it. Now, we did have latkes from Abe Fisher's as well. Ooh, okay. And as a singular dish, those latkes, mm-hmm. they had the um, texture of like the very best hash brown I might have ever Ooh, had. Nice. And they okay. were inside creamy. And we were able to eat those latkes at the same time that I was physically sitting inside of Dizengoff's. So we were eating this beautiful, like a, a king. rich. A king in Philly. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> to believe me, we were very lucky. Um, we had had like one of the the hummus dishes was meat. You know, we had a, a lovely meat uh, mm-hmm. um, um, topping on behalf of the beautiful, creamy, luscious uh, uh, hummus, and then the the crunchy fried hot latka to go. Damn. Oh, believe me, they should do a combo. They could do a combo. They're like, right next like, door to like each KFC other. They could run Bell, back and just, forth. Yeah, believe me. So that so you you talk about Goldie's because I just stepped on. Okay, it. so Goldie's is the falafel joint that he opened, and I think he's gonna have three by the end of this year it's good or maybe even more maybe he'll go outside of philadelphia but um what i love is the tahina shake and he has i think four or five different flavors you can get plain you can get coconut you can get like a coffee one uh i went i was only there for 24 hours and i went twice i went there as soon as i got there because i had heard about the shake loved it so much that on my way out my walk back to the train station i got another flavor because it's just so good and it's vegan which doesn't matter to me, but fun fact to know, if you are vegan, you can go to Philly and try the shake. And it's just like, it tastes like your most delicious, luscious milkshake, but with a hint of that tahini flavor. So I'm I'm happy to have you um, vouch for it that way. So vegan is did important. You, did you like I, I, shake? I loved it. Okay. And the, the last observation you just mm-hmm. made, which is, um, you know, the, 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 the crucial milkshake uh, quality of mm-hmm. it, like yeah, the, so the thickness of it, exactly. I lost myself in it and forgot about it being vegan. Mm-hmm. I had the OG, I had the original. Yeah. Um, but it, the the vegan aspect of it is is important to my walk of life because my kid is allergic to dairy and eggs. Oh, see? so like finding f- replica foods that are stand up on their own, right? Where you just lose yourself in it. You don't even think about the uh, the fact that it has ingredients that might be missing. Like we yeah. don't we don't try and talk to my yeah, kid like about you're missing you're, something. When your kid's at the ice cream party and he's eating the mango sorbet, right, that kind of right. sucks. Yes, but exactly. he could go to Goldie's and have what everyone else is having. And, and it's a, and it, it's insane. Yeah, exactly. It is it is a a milk mother effing shake. <laughs> yes, Let there be no like doubt. That's what it is. Shake. It is a real milkshake. That's yeah. exactly right. Okay, we've hit the last. Oh, we've hit the 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 point in the podcast. I didn't warn you about this either mm-hmm. um but we do this with with our most esteemed guests oh great i'm interested in your take on on on, on perhaps a last meal on earth last meal on earth have you done this before no but i listened to your show oh so i thought about it a little bit oh, before okay, coming great. like what would mine be yeah as, as everyone who's listening is probably thinking right now what would mine be yeah um and as you may have guessed, I'm a sweet person, like mm. a sweets person. So a ice cream sundae would definitely be involved. Mm. But before that, I would probably have a Manhattan. Because, <laughs> you know, you, you got to course. have a drink. It's my last meal, so I'm going to have a drink. Yeah. Then so I don't really care what the savory thing is. Maybe some lamb. I love I love some oh, good lamb. I love okay. a duck. Something something like nice, just maybe a couple bites. Yeah. And then go you know, full into the ice cream sundae. That's it. So you you don't care. You're not like protein, sushi. You're not doing. Yeah, I mean, sushi would be great. Yeah. Omakase, like, right. of course. Why not? Why not end on that note? Yeah, but right. the most important thing, I think, is, is making sure I get I get some good dessert in and can, there. Can, can we talk a little bit about what might be in this ice cream sundae? Uh, anything, anything classic style. I used to work at Friendly's. I don't know if you had oh, that in D.C. Of course. What are you yeah. talking about? So anything like that. The Fripp. 
The yeah, the fribble. Fribble. Uh, but I'm we, so old. <laughs> Who has a frib? I don't know. But the fribble. You know, you have your, you know, mint chocolate chip or chocolate chip. You got uh, some hot fudge, uh, whipped cream cherry. Uh-huh. Put it in one of those old school glasses. Oh yes, I'm good. I'm yes. Good to go. Okay, that's yeah, it. That's, so that's it. Very thing. straightforward. Yeah, right down the middle. Sunday. Amanda Clute. We've done it. Thank you so much for coming Thank on House of Carbs. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Great. Thank you. I can't like, wait for the next one. I know. All right. My thanks again to Amanda Clute for taking time out of her busy day and having me over at Eater headquarters. I have to tell you, you will soon see they treated me. They're such good hosts to a chocolate chip bracket where we taste tested a number of chocolate chip cookies on the island of, of, of Manhattan. You'll have to listen to that discussion, that delicious dialogue on the Eater's own podcast, Eater Upsell, with Dan Janine and Amanda Clute. But thanks again to Amanda for coming on the House of Carbs. We're going to have each other on each other's shows uh, more times as time goes on here. But before we keep going with today's outstanding house of carbs, we have food news coming up with Juliet. But how about a word from our pals at Lisa? Lisa Mattress is driven by the mission to provide a better place to sleep for everybody. It's an innovative direct-to-consumer online mattress brand that's also socially conscious. In fact, for every 10 mattresses Lisa sells, they donate one to a shelter through their 110 program. They also plant a tree for every mattress sold and donate a percent, 1% of each employee's time to volunteer for local causes. They have a patented universal adaptive feel. Let me tell you about the mattress. Patented universal adaptive feel designed for all types of sleepers and they feature three premium foam layers, including this top layer, the two-inch Avena top layer for cooling and breathability. Beneath that, the two-inch memory foam middle layer for body contouring and pressure relief. And you have at the bottom a six-inch dense core to support uh, for, it's a support foam for durability and structure. It works for all sleepers of all sizes. And now Lisa is continuing to expand its offerings to include the Lisa pillow, the Lisa blanket, a foundation and a frame. There's no wonder it's a Forbes top 20 startup to watch. Try a Lisa mattress in your own home for 100 nights risk-free. I promise you it's going to stay in your home beyond 100 nights. We have two of these fantastic Lisa mattresses in the house household. One king joint and a twin for my little guy. And I'm telling you, that they're, 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 it's outstanding. We tried the twin for the little guy first. It was so good. And many nights I sneak in there. When he goes to my bed, I go to his bed. We had to get the, the, the big daddy for the big bed. Available in the U.S., U.K., Canada, and Germany online with free shipping. This 100% American-made mattress ships compressed in a box right to your door. You can try one out in person at the Lisa Dream Gallery in Soho, New York City, and also Virginia Beach, as well as over 80 West Elm stores nationwide. Get $100 off, my podcast pals, when you go to lisa.com slash carbs. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash carbs. $100 off 
your online purchase. Do it, my pals. My hungry homies, today's episode also brought to you by our friends at policygenius.com. Each new year, 30% of people make a resolution. This is the time of year that people are making resolutions to be more financially responsible. I'm telling you, I have one of these notes sitting in front of me on my desk in my office right now. Most of those people don't follow through. I'm going to follow through. But being responsible is hard. What if there was a way to make a smart financial decision in as little as five minutes? And there is. Here's the thing you're going to do. Get life insurance. We tell you about it every month. Policy Genius is the easy way to compare and buy life insurance online. They let you compare quotes in just five minutes. It's almost unheard of to make a responsible purchase in five minutes. Policy Genius has helped over 4 million people shop for insurance and placed over $20 billion in coverage. And they don't just insure life, they insure everything in it you can compare. Health insurance, disability insurance, pet insurance, renter's insurance, so many ways to be responsible. So if you made a New Year's resolution to be better with your money, achieve it at policygenius.com. It's the easiest way to compare and buy life insurance. Zero sales pressure and no hassle. And it's free. Free is the most financially responsible price. Policy Genius, get your New Year's resolution resolved in five minutes. All right, hungry homies, my taste buds, as we do every single week here on House of Carbs, it is now time for Food News. <laughs> Juliet Littman, star of the Smash podcast hit Bachelor Party. What's happening? Hey, bud. How are you? A-OK. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it's it. It's cold here in, in on the East Coast. Is it? Is it cold on the West Coast? You know, it's not really. Sorry. <laughs> it, it's never cold on the West Coast. It gets chilly at night. Like I needed a jacket at, at the after the sun sets. But right now I think it's like a nice 75. Yeah. Sorry, man. Actually, it's okay. let's see. I'm going to tell you it's it's 71 and mostly sunny. So it's pretty nice. I'm wearing like a loose a loose knit sweater. You know how like the sweaters you can kind of like see through. It's sort of like, what's the point of that sweater? The point of it is in California. <laughs> All right. I don't want to talk about the weather anymore. It's going to be cold on the East Coast for the rest of the week. I have a question for you before we get started. Yes. Did you have any noteworthy eating experiences last week? (sighs) Have I ever talked to you about Pine and Crane, my favorite Taiwanese restaurant here in Los Angeles? No. Pine and Crane. It's Taiwanese. Taiwanese like street food inspired. It's a hot spot. It's like it's in Silver Lake, basically in Sunset Junction. It's quite close to me, and uh, it's just like I had it last week with some friends. We got takeout for like a Friday night dinner. It's just reliably delicious, and it's a, it just isn't – it's just not that greasy. Not that I mind greasy food, but sometimes Chinese food can feel that way. This is not like that at all. They make an amazing beef roll. They have Don Don noodles, just kind of similar to sesame noodles. They, I love Don Don noodles. Yeah, me too. They have like amazing scallion pancakes that are kind of hard to find in L.A., but mm. one of my absolute favorites from growing up in New York. 
It's just yeah, great... when they're done right, they're the best thing ever. Yeah. Oh yeah, they got pot stickers. They just it's and then they also have like seasonal vegetables as well. They have a really good um, shrimp wonton. I don't know, like every menu, every item on the menu is really good. Like I, every dish is great. I actually don't love the jadori chicken, which is quite popular, but I just not like a huge chicken fan. So that's me. It's okay, you don't have to. Thanks. This is this is the reason I ask is because last week you gave the people I don't remember the the outfit but you gave the people um golden bags yes and you know i saw on the twitter that that at least one of our hungry homies hit us up they took a picture of the menu they were inspired by your description of of you know the the experience with that nothing like golden bags at this taiwanese restaurant no nothing like that but it's but it's really really effing good i recommend calling it in picking up because you otherwise will probably have to wait in a long line but it's so worth it if you're on the east side of los angeles go to pine and crane i freaking freaking love it it's my it's my go-to really like i haven't had lunch yet today i'm gonna go home soon and i'm like yeah maybe i'll just pick up pine and crane Outstanding. I'm getting hungry now, too. Sorry. It's almost dinner time I for love me. Chinese food. Have we ever done personal like um, cuisine rankings on this podcast? Oh, this is a brilliant one. We're going to save it. Okay. Personal cuisine rankings. Um, because I um, I go deep with ethnicities. Me, too. This is how my, 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 uh, my real food curiosity began as a teenager here in the DMV. And back then... You could go around to the suburban communities here in Maryland and uh, Virginia, ma- mainly not the district. The district was only only had one thing of, of any real interest, which was Ethiopian food. But the suburbs of D.C., very diverse, a lot of, a lot of ethnicities, a lot of cuisine. Isn't there great so Korean food this. in the D.C. suburbs? Yes, there is. Yeah. Yes. In fact, as a matter of fact, this coming Friday, January the 19th, I'm having a, a house family house dinner. Me and my two brothers and our old, old, old friend Johnny Kim, who is Korean, takes us out once a year for house family uh, uh, Korean dinner. And we say we're gonna. I don't know where he's gonna take us this year. Oh wow! How exciting! I didn't even know you had brothers. Exciting. By the way, I I have, t- I have two. Yeah. Are they older or younger? Younger. I'm the oldest. Wow. I have that that. That, you know, um, older brother complex, total asshole. Do all the house bros live in the D.C. area and the DMV? Fortunately, I have two brothers and a sister. My sister's down in Atlanta. Shout out Annie House. Um, but my both of my brothers are here in the DMV. It's, wow. it's uh, outstanding. So yeah. you're one of four. You're not even one of three. This is wild. I had no idea. I'm the oldest. The, the sports guy never mentioned that. Never mentioned that you had siblings. Yeah. He, he has on occasion made fun of my brothers. Oh, really? <laughs> More than one occasion. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. Well, I, yeah, I'll leave it alone. I, okay. I, I don't feel... F- I'll let him do this, this spiel. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, mm. Let's get into food news. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's. We have some good stories. We do. First, yet another reason for us to go to Toronto. Thanks to the New York Times article, we now know that when we go to Toronto in this in this hypothetical food news field trip, we will be having Syrian food because Canada has been open for many refugees leaving Syria given the humanitarian crisis and the war there. And as a result, uh, it's Canada's gain because they have all this amazing Syrian food. And this is this is a quote from the New York Times. 
Until recently, Syrian cuisine hardly existed in Toronto. Just a few hundred families, the Syrian population was too small to support a restaurant scene. But over the past two years, following the high-profile resettlement of more than 50,000 refugees in Canada, the Toronto area, where over 11,000 of them live, is experiencing the green shoots of a Syrian food boom. Entrepreneurs behind these ventures display the striking diversity of Syria's refugee population. They are as young as 17, and they are old as 70. They are urban professors, as well as illiterate farmers. They identify as Shina, Sunni, Shia, Sunni, Druze, Kurd, Alawite, Christian, or just Syrian. Some worked in food businesses back home. Others never cooked in their lives. But in a city whose culinary landscape is proudly defined by its immigrant foods, more than half of all Torontonians are foreign-born, the emergence of Syrian cooking illuminates an immigrant community's integration into the broader population and a bridge that food can build to a new life. So I just want to say, New York Times, I already was interested in coming to Toronto, and now I would absolutely love to, because this is like a beautiful story, and I think I would like Syrian food very much. Yeah, our list of places to hit in Toronto has grown so much since since this was first a twinkle in our eye. I feel like we probably need to be there for three days. Like we need to catch the Raptors on a on a or maybe we just go to one Raptors game and we go to a Leafs game. Sure. We go to Toronto Maple Leafs. We see like, you know, if we're gonna be authentic about it, we try and find an uh, a series of three days where the, the Leafs and the Raptors play back to back. And we try and eat. I mean, you know how I do it, Juliet. But I would say we we probably try and eat like a dozen different places. Yeah, that sounds great to me. Also, I'm expecting the Raptors to go deep into the playoffs. Knock on wood. So yeah. that gives us a lot of time. Like we have like at least until May. Oh, I I, I uh, I'm counting on it because you know where we're not going in um, January or February or even early March. <laughs> Toronto. It's it's, it's effing freezing <laughs> Toronto. You're right about that. Also, I'm obsessed with like various at different locations how they're affected by the like the two solstices so like i'm very interested in knowing what it's like to be in toronto when you're close to the summer solstice and the sun sets really late like i'm just very curious what it's like if the sun's up to like 10 30 isn't that like uh june the 21st it's june 19th i think or maybe it's the 21st 19th one of those whatever it is yeah um that would the only way for that to work for our food tour it would have to be the, uh, the raptors in the finals right yes which i'm not gonna rule out to be honest you can't rule out anything. No. I, 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 I mean, it only takes one rolled ankle, and I don't want to name names because sure. uh, I'm not rooting for it. I want all the best players to play all the time, but it only takes one rolled ankle um, to for, for a team like the Raps on the real come up. Yeah. What a story. Shout out to Toronto. Shout out to Toronto. We're, we're with you. So we're going to come and we're going to try the Syrian food because it sounds great. Yeah. It's just a really nice story. To a, Good story. A more titillating, less positive story. This comes to us from Denmark. And someone has stolen the world's most expensive bottle of vodka from a bar in Copenhagen. A bar owner said a 1.3 million bottle of vodka was stolen from his Copenhagen bar on Tuesday. The Russo-Baltique vodka, which is said to be the most expensive in the world, was uninsured. This comes to us from a website called thelocal.dk. So you, you know it's real. I was, I'm obviously very upset. It was the icing on the cake in my collection. Of the 1,200 bottles I have, this was a very special bottle to have there. Cafe 33 owner Brian Ingberg said he reportedly got the bottle in Russia from a privately owned company called the Darts Factory no more than six months ago. Security footage from early Tuesday morning shows two masked people going behind the bar and stealing the vodka. They then left with the only one bottle, even though there were 1,200 bottles they could have taken. The vodka is so expensive, partially because the bo- its bottle is made with six pounds of gold and six pounds of silver. Heavy bottle. <laughs> I, I mean, this is a befuddling story to me. 
I have many questions. Let's hear them. Here's the here's the first question. Why is 12 pounds of precious metals in your bar sitting there without any form of 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 uh heightened security and or insurance? I, I don't know. It's a great question. I guess they just assume a, maybe they're nicer in, in, in Denmark and they don't think that they need this kind of security. The, the, uh, well, f- I'm going to I'm going to go off on a crazy conspiracy theory that is um, also uh, going to put me at odds with political correctness today. So I'm sorry for this in advance. <laughs> well, now but I'm excited. I go th- before I go there, one point three million dollars. Isn't it just the gold? It can't just be the gold and the silver because adding up six pounds of gold and six pounds of silver, that doesn't get you anywhere near that price. What in the hell makes this so rare? Why is it so expensive? Maybe it's been filtered like 1,000 times so it tastes like water. <laughs> vodka that tastes like water? Yeah. If I, if how I does had, that help anything? If I had vodka that tasted like water, I would be probably a lot more drunk. <laughs> well... It is from Russia, and here comes my conspiracy theory. I think this this uh, the way the story reads that it, that there's an even money chance that it was two people from the darts factory sent on a mission from Russia <laughs> to go to Denmark and recover that bottle. Oh, they kn- they knew something about what's the guy's name Brian Ingberg and his lack security and his, his uh, lazy approach to insurance and said, hey, Brian, let me show you how we do it here in Russia. Did you like that bottle? We'll take your money. <laughs> and guess what? It's coming home to the motherland, brother Bri. It's coming that's right. home. That's my conspiracy. I like it. <laughs> that's, yeah. I like it, man. I mean, I, I'm, I'm impugning and I'm, imp- I'm impugning the Russians here, but you know. Their 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 behavior over the last eighteen months has, hasn't been the best. I, I I like this very much. Um, to me, this reminds me of like a a, a sequel or a spinoff of like the Oceans franchise. Like this reminds me of Oceans oh. Twelve, kind of. And I'm like, let's get Catherine Zeta Jones on the case. Let's get Brad yes. Pitt involved. This sounds like a great like Steven Steven Soderbergh movie to me. Stealing vodka. This is great. We we let's get a, a development deal going. Here. Totally, pretty good. I just I've been I just was reminded of a personal anecdote that I would really like to share with you. It's more of a brag, but I, I was so excited <laughs> that I need to share it. I'm psyched. I'm psyched. <laughs> Yesterday, I was watching the Vikings game at a bar with a friend, and oh my gosh, we um we ordered Bloody Marys, and he, oh delicious! He, I love a Bloody Mary. He, so do I. He got his with Tito's, as you know, never Tito's for me. And I was like, oh, I, was, I was like, what are the alternatives to Tito's? And she's like, I don't know, like a well vodka. And I was like, okay, that's fine. And just to be clear, it's not because I'm cheap. It's because I don't like Tito's. And so <laughs> just wanted her to know. <laughs> and yeah. so had some waitress snafus. I, I Sometimes I get very aggressive when I don't think the service is good. So I like flagged down a sure. different waitress. And I was like, look, I can see our Bloody Mary sitting on the bar. I'm not sure what's happening. Like, do you mind grabbing them for us? So this other waitress brings them over. But of course, she wasn't part of the ordering. So she doesn't know that we got two separate vodkas. So mm. I was like, it's okay. I'll taste them both. I'll be able to tell the difference. So I taste them both. And I'm like, oh, nope, I don't want this one. I could tell this has Tito's. And I gave it to my friend. Then our original waitress came over and she she was like to check on us. She was like, oh, sorry, blah, 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 whatever. The bar wasn't that crowded. And anyway, we were like, <laughs> do you know which one is which? And she was like, oh, that one's the one with Tito's. And she points to the one that I gave to my friend because I was like, gross. I don't want that one. 
And so I did an unintentional blind taste test of two Bloody Marys, which has like a lot of flavor. So it's not even just like straight up vodka tasting. It's a Bloody Mary tasting. And I accurately discerned which one had Tito's with no hints whatsoever. It's this is the this palette of yours is being wasted. I mean, (laughs) all we've done so far is eat some effing potato chips. And give out some. We we really need to 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 put this to work. This is an ex, an outstanding palette you possess, Julia. Thank Littman. you. I think it's, it's incredible. I think I'm just a really really good hater. So when I don't like something, <laughs> I just go all in on the hate, and I'm like, nah, I just it's not for me. And that, I think that's what happened here. But anyway, I have for a long time claimed that I could taste when it's Tito's and know that I don't like it, and this just confirmed it. I'm I was I was elated. Like I was just so proud of myself. The claim to fame of Tito's is that it's a corn vodka, right? It's that it it's gluten free. Yeah, but it isn't what's the ingredient that helps it avoid? Oh. You know, I don't know I, if that's I'm the case. I'm pretty sure it's a oh. corn vodka. Here's what I'm going to say, Julia. In the first place, when we when we taste your palate, uh-huh. maybe you have a super sensitivity to corn products. What do you think about that? It's have you possible? Have, have you found in your life? That you have either a strong aversion or a strong um, reaction to corn tortilla mm-hmm. versus the flour tortilla. I mean, I always prefer flour, but I thought that I was just like my inner fat kid. Like I, I oh boy, <laughs> interesting. What about cornbread? Where do you stand Lo- on cornbread? Fucking Julia? love cornbread. Love it. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So there we go. But maybe is this some way that the corn has been handled yeah. in the pre- preparation of the cornbread? That it's transforms possible. it. It's possible. I want to explore this further. Okay. May, I don't know what the right vehicle is going to be. We're going to do in the very first place. We have to come up with, I think I want to, I want to t- test your corn palate. Okay. That's where I'm coming from <laughs> on this. That's great. Are you into it? Yes, absolutely. The, the point right. of the story though, is that I just felt so vindicated and just proud. I just was really just felt proud, to, proud of myself. So, you know. You should. You deserve it. Got to hold on to those moments. Absolutely. Right. More food news for you. House, you can now buy an Oreo Cookie Club subscription on Amazon. This story is from Delish.com, and it reads, The cookie brand is selling a Cookie Club subscription through Amazon, ensuring cookie deliveries every month. Each box comes with two Oreo snacks, either cookies or candy bars, that are a mix of old favorites and new product innovations, as well as an Oreo-inspired gift and a recipe card. Some of the gift examples Oreo gave include hats, mugs, and games. You can purchase a three-month, six-month, or 12-month subscription, with each factoring out to about $20 per box. So that's like $20 a month. An Amazon user posted a picture of the January box, which included full-size packs of the new hot and spicy cinnamon Oreos and chocolate hazelnut Oreos, Oreo hot cocoa mix, and a recipe for hot and spicy cinnamon Oreo mug cake. I love an Oreo mug cake. I like mug cake in general. But $20 a month? Are you willing to shell out for that? Absolutely not. No. So Far too much. I love the innovation here. The idea of, of food subscription clubs is something that... Um, to, to make the pun terrible, I subscribe to, I, for uh, two years, my wife, knowing um, my proclivities, had us uh, with a, a subscription to Zingerman's, you know, the place in Michigan, yeah, the famous uh, bakery and deli. Yeah. So we were getting great goods from, from, from those guys. Uh, we, we, we were, are, um, have been over the years, uh, I can't remember, a couple others, but we we're definitely into that subscriber vibe. The problem with the Oreos at twenty bucks a month is it better be two cases of Oreos plus a mug 
You can't be two snacks and then a mug or a hat or something else to try and justify that price point. Yeah, it's it's just far too much. Also, I think this is a really good present for kids, but like, can you conscionably buy someone else's child like a sugar subscription, basically? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's one thing to get it for your own kid, but like, if you're, if, I mean, you know, I know your son has allergies, but like in general, if a friend, if like his friend bought him this subscription, assuming like it didn't, it didn't pose any allergy issues, like, would you be pissed? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, you, I don't think you can, this is a, another, um, perhaps I wonder what their market testing is telling them because Oreos are for kids. Yeah. And um, they are largely allergy friendly. Um, but at, at 20 bucks a month, I'm not buying these for my kid. And as a gift, you can't really gift food to other people's kids. Right. Like there's just so many issues there. And I think subscription boxes are really, unless it's like, something super functional they're like they're they're presents they're not something you get for yourself unless you want to treat yourself and i support that but i just see i just think there's a lot of issues here it it, it's a nice idea but an overreach that's where i'm coming down on it yeah i agree with you all right i I, that said thinking of buying one for my friend (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well if you buy it, let me know how he or she likes it. I will. Um, okay, moving on, house. One more for you. Also, yeah. also on topic of sweets, Ferrero, the like hazelnut company that they make Nutella, is reportedly buying Nestle for a whopping two point eight billion. Nutella. This story is from Bloomberg. New, Italian Nutella maker Ferrero is nearing a deal to acquire Nestle's U.S. confectionery business for about $2.8 billion, according to a person familiar with the matter. Ferrero, which has traditionally shied away from acquisitions, is expanding its portfolio beyond Nutella hazelnut spread, Tic Tac candies, and the Ferrero Rocher chocolates. For Nestle, the world's largest food company, this marks CEO Mark Schneider's first major divestment and an initial step away from chocolate. Nestle plans to focus on categories like coffee and pet food as the industry grapples with a drop in demand for sugary products. While the Swiss company has a moving towards healthier fare, it's holding on to its prepared dishes, ice cream, and global confectionery businesses. Those product categories made up roughly 40% of total sales last year. Nestle shares fell 1.4% Wednesday in Zurich. That's last Wednesday. And the Swiss KitKat maker said in June it was considering options for the unit and in December said it expected to sell the business in the first quarter of 2018. So this means... That Nestle is about to make back the money it made, uh, spent on Blue Bottle. <laughs> so good job. Zero sum for uh, good old Mark Schneider. Is Blue Bottle a loss leader? Um, It might be. It's a good question. But I guess they're just really in on coffee. I, I find that fascinating. Also... I, I believe that sugary products are down in sales because like we've gotten like more health conscious. But like, will that last yeah. for forever? Like, is that just a trend? I I don't know. What it, what I would like to see, um, and maybe this is part of the overall business plan. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I would like them to. I'd like to see them double down in this um, combined manner on on great ingredients that go into um, goods that allow people to do the baking themselves and produce small batch versions of, of of items themselves. I think that's the place where 
there's an opportunity. You have a brand like Nestle, you have a, a brand like Ferrero. Both of those brands have established themselves in the marketplace with a certain, you know, delicious niche. You're combining forces. Now, uh, how about a, a, a slight rebrand of some kind of outstanding, um, you know, new Nutella chocolate chips, right? Sure. That go into your, um, uh, I'm, I'm blanking, with your blondie. Sure. You know, some kind of like, let's, let's innovate a little bit and, and tell us about, you know, this is your five ingredient Nutella Nestle chocolate chip where we're combining forces, but we're also recognizing where the marketplace uh, is in terms of wanting things that are, e even in their sugary goods, you know, healthful or don't have 15 different ingredients. I don't know. Maybe this is a pipe dream, but it seems like an opportunity. I, I agree with you. I think it's a, I, th I think there's a could be doing more here, but you know what? Who, who are we to say? I, I kind of like, like this <laughs> in general. I don't know. I love Nutella. Like I just absolutely love it. One of my favorite snack yes. innovations of the, of the recent years is like the N Nutella to go cup kind of thing. They sell it like at drugstores, like at Rite Aid where it has like, it's like Dunkaroos with Nutella and like some kind of like crackery thing. You know what I'm talking about? Um, the I know what Dunkaroos are. I have to tell you, I had no idea that that, that this existed for Nutella. It does. They have it at, like my local Rite Aid near the office. Like it's like a little cup of Nutella, and then like it comes with like crackers to dip into it. It's just so. It's like it's again not the kind of thing that me an adult should be buying, and yet it's so delicious. No, like four o'clock if you're having your afternoon coffee and you need a nibble. Like most of the time, I'm in there with with a couple of almonds. I'm having my iced americano and some almonds. It's like it's just like it's just to 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 keep me um, plied until dinner time. Sure. But I'd love a, a sweet bite of Nutella and a couple. You know what? What's the quality of the cracker? That that would be it's crucial to me. It's kind of like me. a breadstick kind of thing. I'm not okay, describing okay. it well, but it's good. It's pretty good. Good for dipping. It's just a good vehicle. Yeah, it's all it's okay, all about a, it's all about funneling the Nutella into your mouth. So it's a good vehicle. <laughs> Word. <laughs> yeah. That, Word. That's all I got for you, House. <laughs> it's a good one. Uh, speaking of a good one, Juliet, let's pimp this week's uh, bachelor party. Special guest this week. The one and only David D. Jacoby from Jalen and Jacoby. Our boy. Yeah, our, our old friend. In fact, our old pal. we had a digression in which we talked about the television show Vanderpump Rules. So Jacoby will be on the Bachelor Party podcast for tonight's episode, Monday night, about The Bachelor. And then back for the Bachelor Party B-side on Thursday, talking about Vanderpump Rules. It's a full week of Jacoby on the Bachelor Party. Oh, my God. I know. My, does he still work for ESPN? He does. As far as I know, okay. he does. Yes. And you can catch him All on right. TV now. He's on TV at 2 p.m. on ESPN2 every day. Well, I, I, I would welcome him on um, for a food news, but I don't want to hear about him and you doing a food news behind my back. No, we would we would never. No, you're, okay. you're part of the family he, house. We can never do that to He you. tweeted out, you know, how he missed, uh, he, he saw the diet innovation Coke. with the Diet Coke flavors. Yeah. yeah those look terrible, by the way. Should we taste those? I, I'm, yeah, it's like five different Diet Coke flavors, all like fruity. It's just a bad idea. I don't even like Cherry Coke, and that's like kind of like a standard, so... So, Haven't, hasn't Coke learned the lesson by now? I guess. I, I, I guess The not. interesting thing to me is like, hey, Diet Coke, um, call it something else altogether. Don't sully your brand. Every There are people that are humongous Diet Coke devotees, including, I think, the, 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 the president of the United States. Oh, yes. Um, who, who should be drinking a bunch of those fruity ones. Um, and I won't go any further with that. But- 
it's it seems like a real an experiment destined to fail. Yeah. Agreed. I don't know. Agreed. What do I know? Um, anyway. That's it, House. Listen to Bachelor We've Party. We've done it. Yeah. Good times. Thanks for having Thanks, me. Thanks, Juliet. Be back next week. Can't wait. All right, my hungry homies. We have done it. Big thanks again to Eater, Editor-in-Chief Amanda Clute, and also always Juliet Littman, of course. Also, my big thanks to you for the outstanding belly sourcing. We shall get the Instagram up and on full fire. We've had uh, some great incoming posts from the hungry homies. Please keep it up. We are at the House of Carbs on the Instagram and at House of Carbs on the Twitter. You can hit us in either one of those places with your delicious belly sourcing recommendations. That's it for this week's show. Next week's show, special, special, special guest, Bill Rosenthal. We're going to talk to him about his new Netflix series, Somebody Feed Phil. That is going to be a good one because you may recall Everybody Loves Raymond had a lot of delicious food coming and going through the kitchen of that joint. I think Phil might know a little bit about what he's talking about. We'll find out. Until then, my hungry homies, let's stay hungry out there. <laughs>